0: we are now in week two of a sermon series we're calling teach us to pray it's really a request that the disciples give jesus they see him going off and praying and sometimes jesus would pray for hours on end and i imagine they hear him pray in public and they finally muster up the courage they say jesus teach us to pray how do you pray like this and last week you we looked at the very first part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean, that we have this holy God? And today then we're looking at what's called in the Lutheran tradition the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. And to do that, we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. This is in the middle of a pretty lengthy sermon on just that, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is teaching us, what the kingdom of heaven is like. So if we're going to pray for God's kingdom to come among us, we've got to know exactly what we're praying about. What is God's kingdom? What is the kingdom of heaven like? And to teach us that, he gives us this parable, pretty well-known parable, probably if you've been a Christian for a while, you've heard this before. It's called the parable of the talents. But let's dive in now together, look at what Jesus is getting across to us today, starting with verse 14. He says, For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more, He said this Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant, And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is a harsh gospel text. This is something probably we skip on VBS weeks with the kids. What is Jesus trying to get across here? What is he telling us, showing us about the kingdom of heaven? Well, first, let's dissect this text a little bit together. And if you look at the very first uh, verse, we understand right away that this man is extremely wealthy. He's wealthy enough to own what in the Greek is a word called doulos. It means bondservant, but in this case, a better translation is slave. He went to a place where you can buy human beings, and he purchased them, and they work his land. They are employed by him, but they're doing it for free. They have no rights in Roman culture. A Greek slave, a Roman slave, they couldn't argue against their master. They couldn't walk away from their master. They were considered property of their master. This is slavery in ancient Rome. But then we also know that he's wealthy by the amount of money that is represented by these talents. Just one talent was the equivalent of 20 years of wages of a a regular day, everyday blue-collar worker. 20 years working equals one talent. And to put that in context, we can understand. A blue-collar worker here in America, the average salary is 25 bucks an hour. That attributes to about a $50,000 a year salary. It takes 20 years then to make a million dollars. But of course, living in this economy, You don't actually have a million dollars at the end of that time You've just used all your money basically to make it in this world So to a person in that situation both here and now this is an extraordinary amount of money First guy gets five million bucks. The second guy gets two million dollars. The third slave is given one million dollars And it's important to know what the guy says here the master It says that the money was entrusted to them each according to their ability so, this tells us a little bit about this master. This is not a typical slave owning master that you might think of. This is a person who sees the value in this servant, in this slave, sees something in this person, sees the potential, sees the ability, and he rewards them. He entrusts them his property as he goes away on a long journey. And then Jesus continues, verse 19, says that after a long time, this means many, many years, so plenty of time to make money, plenty of time to earn some interest. He comes back and he calls all three guys into his office. Sits him down on the chair and says, let's see how you did with my money. And the first guy comes in, he's very excited. He says, master, you gave me five million bucks. Look, I've turned it into 10, 100% profit. The guy comes in, you gave me $2 million. I've turned it into four. And the master replies both the same way to each of the servant, servants. He says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What's he saying? Well, first of all, notice that, again, this is a slave. This is a person who would have no chance at this kind of opportunity in real life. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He gives him some affirmation. Then both of these guys are given a promotion. You've been entrusted over a little. Now I'm going to put you over even more in my household. They get a raise. They get a promotion. But the most important thing is the affirmation that the master gives next. He says enter into the joy of your master. And what he essentially is saying to this slave, each of these two slaves is this, come into relationship with me. See, the culture sees you as a slave. The culture sees you as a servant. You're a second-class citizen in this economy, but now in my household, I'm going to elevate you. Come into my joy. Come into my relationship. Be one of the family. And I think up until this point, if you didn't know the rest of the story, this is a pretty feel-good story. This is like the movie Annie in real life. These two guys had no chance of ever earning this type of reputation, ever earning this kind of money, this kind of status in the family. And this slave owner, at first he seems like a crusty old man, but then you get to know him a little bit. He's actually pretty generous. He gives these guys the opportunity of a lifetime. They take the bull by the horn. They make something with their life, and now they're set for life. They're set forever. This is a movie we would all watch during Christmas on the homework channel. All right? Until you get to the next part. And you realize you're not watching Annie, you're watching a Quentin Tarantino film, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. One of the commentators that I read said, suggested this, that this next part is so shocking that the first hearers, the audience would have actually likely let out an audible gasp, like, oh, and what happens next? What happens? The third man comes in, he comes into the master's presence, and he says, verse 24, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, Gathering where you scattered no seed so I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground And you almost can see him pushing it across the table here take what is yours And the reason this is so shocking because in those days remember this is a honor shame culture This is much different than the culture we live in today A slave in ancient Rome would never speak that way to his master That is a death penalty In Roman law, you had the right, as an owner of a slave, you could put that guy to death just for for blinking at you. But to speak this way to a master, it was unheard of in those days. So having heard that, now we get a little bit of a sense of what's going on with the master, why he treats this slave so harshly. And I think, if you think about it in our context today, those of you who have ever had a job, imagine this. Maybe you work right now for a company and your boss comes to you and says, hey, I've got a really important project for you. You've got six months to do it. I don't care how it gets done, but you're in charge to get this project done six months. But instead of working on your project, you go home to your house and you binge Netflix. You watch movies. You read books. You play video games. You go golfing. You go fishing. You're hanging out with your friends. All the while, you're still getting paid. You're still earning your health benefits. And then the master, your boss, your master, your boss uh, comes and he says, hey, six months are over. Let's see what you got. What do you got for me? And you walk into his office and you look him in the eyes and you say, you are the worst boss I have ever had. In fact, I hate you. In fact, you don't deserve to be my boss. You got this because your dad owns the company. Now, how might your boss treat you? I think you'd be lucky to have him just call security and have him remove you from the building but this is exactly what this servant this slave is saying and doing to this master which is then how we can start to begin to see what Jesus is really teaching us here because in our world we might think the master is punishing the servant because he didn't produce anything That he's punishing the servant because he didn't do anything or or make any money for the master. That's not why he is being punished. That's not why he's being so harsh. We would treat somebody that way in our society. If you don't produce, you don't get paid. That's not what's happening here. The reason we know this is because this is what's called an allegory parable. See, Jesus is using fake characters, made up characters that represent real people and real things. And as you look at chapter 24, chapter 5, 26, you realize that the allegory is this Jesus is the master. And these three slaves are actually believers, they're followers of Jesus, they're disciples. Those of us in the room who believe in Jesus, you're watching from home, you've been baptized. You believe in the death and the resurrection of jesus that means that you are saved you are bought the apostle peter says not by gold or silver you've been bought by a price you've been bought with the precious blood of jesus and that makes us the property if you will of a good master a good king jesus which means these talents then is every dollar you have in your possession you might think that you went to work and you earned all this money and you've got this retirement package and you've got your home and your apartment. According to God's word, actually, that's not yours. You're simply a manager of the things that God has given you. James 1.17 says this, that all good and perfect gifts are from above. It's a gift from your Heavenly Father. He has bestowed you. He has blessed you with your treasures, blessed you with your talents. And it goes even further than that. The Bible says that even your intellect, your intellectual capital, your wisdom, your sense of humor, the joyful spirit that you have, your work ethic, if you're an athlete, your athletic ability, if you're a musician or an artist, your artistic ability, every good thing that you have in your possession that is used and benefits human flourishing, everything according to scripture is a gift from heaven, from the heavenly realms bestowed upon you in your job, Christian, in the room here today is to faithfully steward those gifts. It's our responsibility. Now, when you know all that, we can look at this text a little bit differently. And again, let's go back to this third slave. Why is the master so harsh with him? First of all, here's some facts. Look at the very first verse. It says that the master entrusted this particular slave with a million dollars, with one talent. This is, again, an unheard amount of money. Why? Because he saw a great ability in this man. He saw his potential. Then the man immediately hides it in the ground. Like, that's the very first thing he does. He doesn't even think about how he can use his talent. He just digs a hole, puts it in the ground, comes back. And he says to the master, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered seed. Do you see what the accusation is here? He's calling him a gangster. (laughs) He's saying, you're a hard and violent man. You didn't deserve or earn the wealth that you have. You stole it from other people. This man is accusing his master of being evil. And it couldn't be farther from the truth because we can look at the text. I mean, you've ever seen the movie The Godfather? Do you know why Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes? Because when you do something gangster to a gangster, he's going to act gangster in return. And if this man was really afraid of his master, he would have worked double time to earn the money that he thought the master wanted. No, he wasn't being punished because he had a lack of production. He was being punished. He's being removed from the house because he has become indignant towards his master. He is rejecting his master's love and provisions. And he doesn't lift a finger. All right. So this is the parable of the talents. Now our topic today is thy kingdom come what in the world does this have to do with praying what in the world does this have to do with bringing god's kingdom into us well here's the underlying principles of this parable number one jesus is showing us what the kingdom of heaven is like and how the kingdom of heaven comes among us our mission statement at this church is helping ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in christ the way we do that is through our talents by being generous by using our gifts and our abilities to go out into this world and help other people flourish so that the kingdom of God might come down through us into our marriages, into our children's lives, into our grandchildren, into our communities, into our schools, into our places of work. That is how the kingdom of God comes down to us, through us, through you, ordinary people. And the gifts and the abilities that he has blessed you with. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's a blessing. It's an overwhelming Waterfall of blessing coming down from heaven through us out into this world. That's how the kingdom of heaven comes down. It's us. But then number two, notice how Jesus has to teach us to pray this way. He has to teach us that we would ask for the kingdom of God to come down among us, this heavenly flowing of blessing coming to this world. Why? Because he knows that we're human beings and we're not going to ask for enough. We settle by asking God for things like, oh, God, give me a job. Oh, God, give me a little bit of money. Oh, God, give me a little bit of health. Oh, oh, God, would you, you know, bless my kid, help him get into a good college. Oh, God, would you help me get into a good job, good college. And look, those things are wonderful. And we're going to learn the fourth petition, give us today our daily bread. We can ask God for those things, but those are small potatoes compared to the overwhelming blessing of the kingdom of heaven, the heavenly realms coming down into this world, don't you see? And so God says, pray for it. Yearn for it. Ask that God's kingdom could just overwhelm the hearts of ourselves, of our church, of our community. So he prays. And teaches us to pray, I mean, thy kingdom come. Which then maybe as we conclude here today, uh, you're having a similar interaction with this text that I had. Uh, I was studying this text. I was talking to Nate and Scott about it. Uh, I'm looking through commentaries. I'm reading Luther's large catechism, and I had this overwhelming sense of guilt and fear. And I have a conversation with God, and I say, God, just to be clear, I'm one of the first two slaves, right? (laughs) Because there are so many times when I have buried the gifts and the talents God has given me, put them in the ground, when I've been lazy, when I've been fearful and I haven't acted on what God's calling me to do, when I have hoarded his gifts and kept it to myself and looked at Christ in an indignant way. God, I don't need you right now. I don't... Maybe that's you here today. But we can not actually, actually confidently say this is the gospel of our Lord. And to do that, we have to look at the affirmation, the accolades that the master gives these first two slaves. Go back with me to the text. The first one earns five talents. The second one only earns two talents. Now, in our economy... The first one deserves a greater bonus, right? Because in our economy, we are rewarded based on our production. If you have the highest years of sales in your company, you 're going to get the biggest bonus. You work hard enough for your company you 're going to get the corner office. you do enough things, and the catches the boss's eye you 're going to get a promotion that year you 're a classmate, you work the hardest you 're going to become valedictorian if you 're an athlete, you play the best you 're going to be a starting. Person on the team. We are rewarded in our culture purely based on our performance. How we do solicits the reward, yes? But notice this is not the case in God's economy. Both men are rewarded the exact same promotion, they're rewarded with the exact same affirmation, and they are both welcomed into the joy of their master. Regardless of their performance, they're welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. They're welcome. now let's jump out of the allegory, they're welcomed into the arms of Jesus, their Savior, not on their merits, not on what they've done, but where their heart is. And so if that's you this morning, if you're wrestling with this, God, I don't know if I've done enough. I, I don't know if I am gonna be rewarded when I get to heaven with this good and faithful servant thing. We need to now look at the purpose of this whole thing. What was Jesus here for? And as you scroll through the book of Matthew, you'll quickly see that his very disciples, the ones he's teaching to, were the very first to abandon him, were the very first to turn their backs on him as he went to the cross and he died. And it's in Jesus' death where a king, as Pastor Nate said in the kids' message, a king became a slave. A king became a servant. A king who gave up all his heavenly blessings so that you have a place, a seat at the table in the heavenly realm. Jesus gave all those things up for you. What that means for us? Yes, there are going to be days when we're lazy, when we bury our treasure, when we don't live up to the potential, to the talents that God has given us. But instead of being in shame and fear and doubt where Satan wants us to be, that's, he's so happy when you are shame, shameful, He's so happy when you doubt God's love. That's what he wants for you. All we have to do is look at Jesus. And the second we repent, the second we go, God, I'm so sorry. I don't know if I'm living up to my potential. He stops you in your tracks. He says, I got you. And I love you. And I can say with absolute confidence, when you... See Jesus face to face when he pulls you into his office at the end of time and he has you sit down on his couch. He will look at you with love and with grace, those who trust in his mercy, those who trust in his love, and he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. And it's in the name of our King Jesus that we can confidently pray together, thy kingdom come, amen.